some of you have heard this before, but every single time I preach from the book of Exodus, every single time I flash back to my little church in Trenton and the Bible studies I used to do with the non-churched people. And there was always some other kind of story besides the Bible in the backdrop. And when we got to Exodus, it was the gospel according to Cecil B. DeMille's wonderful movie, The Ten Commandments in 1956. Uh, one particular time, I was trying to get the Bible study to know that there were not just 10 laws, but 613 codes. I go, you might not know, friends, but there are 613 codes spread throughout Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And a 40-something-year-old man, a little indignant, goes, okay, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. There's only 10 commandments, right? 10 commandments on two tablets. Moses goes up on the mountain, gets the tablets, God writes them on the finger, comes down from the mountain, sees the people dancing around the golden calf, throws the tablets at the golden calf, the golden calf explodes, <laughs> and the people catch on fire and die. Isn't that how it goes? Almost. <laughs> A little bit different than that in the Bible, but just as dramatic. In the Bible, Moses does go up on the mountain, does get the commandments. They are written on the tablet by God. He does come down and see the crazy revelry dancing wild folks with the golden calf. But he does not throw the tablets at the calf. He throws it on the ground at the base of the mountain. But then he pulverizes the golden calf. This is in the Bible. And takes the pulverized gold and puts it in the water and makes the people drink it. Okay, I just thought I'd to get that on the table. God was pretty furious with the Israelites. Uh, she's not really happy with this golden calf stunt, and I don't really blame her. She's listened to their cries. She's heard that they're suffering. She's kind of broken them out of Egypt with a big bunch of drama and stuff, locusts and blood and, you know, all kinds of things. She's dropped manna from heaven when they're hungry. She's had Moses strike a rock when they're thirsty to make sure that they're okay, to liberate them, to redeem them, to transform their circumstances from oppression to freedom, from sorrow to joy, from poverty and desperation, to a plethora of resources, enough gold, for goodness sake, to build the golden calf. And what do they do? They sort of squander it. They take the resources, they take off their jewelry, they make a golden calf, and they call the golden calf the God that liberated us. I don't know, I'm a woman. I'd be a little annoyed about this kind of, I don't know, unattributed liberation. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? God was not getting credit for the good thing that God had done. So God says, you will leave the mountain. Uh, now you will... You will Go away from, the, from this place. You will head toward the land that I have for you, and I'm not going to go with you because I'm mad. But because Moses and, and God are good friends, everybody's, Moses pushes it around. They, they talk about it in one of those moments where Moses' face is uncovered, and Moses convinces God to go, in fact, with Israel out into the new land so that nobody thinks God isn't God in all of her badass splendor. Are you with me? Okay, this is a very complicated story, but I just want to make sure we're tracking it with each other. Okay, 
So now Moses is having another conversation with God. God has been angry, is, is, is forgiving Israel, and is renewing a new covenant, making a new covenant with Israel, and gives them a new set of laws. Yes, the 10 and some more laws. You'll leave this mountain. You will not make a covenant with the people who live in the land. You will not make ever again any more idols, neither golden calves nor bronze statues. You will keep my festivals. You will only work six days. You will keep the Sabbath day. You'll give me your first fruits and your firstborn lambs and things. You will be faithful to me. You will keep my name holy. I'm teaching you how to read Torah. I'm teaching you how to do rituals. I'm teaching you how to be faithful, how to pray. I'm giving you laws about how to love your neighbor, how to love your family, laws about what to eat, what not to eat, how to know if something's clean or unclean, how to cook what you eat, laws that say do not boil the hamburger in the milk. I just think that's wise. <laughs> do not drink too much and don't eat too much. Laws about holidays and fasting. Laws about buying and selling and lending. Laws about how to use money. Laws about how to treat the poor. You will not harvest the corners of your land. That belongs to the poor. You will not pick up the grapes on the ground or the apples on the ground or the wheat from the ground because that belongs to the poor. You will not charge interest when you make a loan. Says it. <laughs> right in there. <laughs> You're going to love this one if you liked that one. You will not demand repayment of a loan from a poor person. After seven years, you will pardon every debt. You will pay people their just wages on time. On time. And you will give to charity according to your means. Laws about how to treat people. You must love the stranger because you were once strangers in a strange land. You shall not stand idly by when a human life is in danger. And this one's really, really good. If your enemy's donkey is in trouble, you must help the donkey, even though you don't want to. Yeah. And there's something that happens to Moses when he's having these little talks with God. The text tells us that Moses got a shiny face. The skin was shiny. We're not talking about those, you know, those fluids that you put on these days to get a glow or the face oil that you pat in. We're talking about something about God's glory wearing off on Moses' face. A shining face wet with the steadfast love of God. God who has set them free. The God who liberated them from bondage. The God who transformed their circumstances. The God they defied with their foolish calf making. 
but who loves them enough anyway for fresh starts, second chances, and a new covenant, a new relationship. Because God is God all the time. God is faithful all the time because God's love, God's mercy, and God's compassion are constant even when we're fickle. And the word for mercy in Hebrew is rachem. Rachem. Can you say that? I can't. Rachem. And that word for mercy in Hebrew is the same root word for womb. So when I'm switching up pronouns on God, I'm doing it with good reason. Men don't yet have wombs. Most of them don't have wombs. But God has a womb. It's womb-like love. It's mercy that is womb-like love. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the kind of love that transforms. It transformed Moses from a I-don't-know-how-to-talk person to an I'm-off-doing-verbal-battle-with-Pharaoh-and-I'm-talking-to-God-all-the-time. It's love that transformed and enslaved people to a free people. And when they were enslaved and forgot who they were and whose they were, transformed them into a grateful people only through love that would never quit. It's the kind of love that we're called to, the kind of love where we're actually called to on God's behalf, love our neighbors into the newness to which we are all called. Let's go back to the donkey. <coughs> it's my favorite. Whether enemy or friend, the kind of love we're called to is the kind where we take care of our neighbor's donkey. Which is to say, we're called to take care of our neighbor's children, our neighbor's old folk, our neighbor's mama and them, Baby's kids. We're called to take care of our neighbor's health care and their right to name their own gender and live into it and go to the bathroom where they want to. We're called to love our neighbor's sexualities as a gift from God, no matter who they love and how they look. We're called to make our congregation safe for gay folks, all of them. We're called to care about our neighbors' beautiful black and brown bodies. We're called to care about our neighbors' children who are in cages. We're called to care that our neighbor makes a living wage and that the women make the same wage as the men for doing the same work. We're called to make sure there's never another me too and that all women's bodies are kept safe. We're called to ask our neighbors what do they want to do with their bodies and let them be in charge of it. We're called to know that our neighbor's sorrows matters, their hope and dreams matters, their, the injustice done to them matters, a just society for them matters. We're called to welcome them and treat them with respect and love like God treats us with respect and love. We're called to give them a second chance because we're called on behalf of the body of God to offer womb-like love to all of those we encounter. Those are some of the guidelines for a liberated people. A people liberated in love, for love, to do love. A people transformed by love, a people who know that love transforms.
And these guidelines, middle family, are why we do what we do. There are 500 people in church on Sundays, almost all the time, and another 600 online. Isn't that amazing? And they're there because they just want a little touch of holy. And okay, yes, some amazing music. 498 people come in and out of our doors every week, week in and week out, to go to recovery programs, to come do community organizing, to do yoga, to just be together to get food and love and support. That's a whole lot of bodies. That's like 24,000 contacts with people every year. Somebody say amen. We do this thing, we do this work, we take ourselves to El Paso to go to the border, we take ourselves to D.C. to march for health care and against poverty. We march around New York for prison reform and to make sure that, that we can disrupt the way a lack of having bail can keep you in prison for months. We continue to talk about how black lives matter. We take ourselves to public spaces like New Mexico to talk with Richard Rohr and to North Carolina to do the thing called the Wow Goose with a whole bunch of uh, public activists like Otis Moss III and Tracy Blackman. We do this work because we're loved by our God and because, because our faces are shiny. Not with vitamin E oil or you know, elixirs but our face are shiny with, with contact with the holy. And we who are contacted by the holy, in touch with the holy, loved by the holy, are called to reflect the transformative glory of God in a world so lonely, so frightened, so scared, so tired, so over frickin' whelmed with violence and desperation. We are the shiny love warriors of God, whose lives and time and treasure and dreams and hopes and fears and insecurities and foibles and idiosyncrasies all make up this amazing community called Middle. Whether this is your first time here or your 400th time, Len, whether this is a place around the corner from you or around the globe from you, we hope you'll sign up, suit up, show up, get off the sidelines, and get in the business of healing our souls and transforming the world. Changed people. Changed people. Amen. <laughs>